Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to talk about something that is, I think it's important to all of us because it affects us in both positive and negative ways, and that is technology, social media, and the internet. Now, what I want to do here is I want to, I'm going to go through a series. In fact, I am going to do nine podcasts. I'm going to write nine articles. They, they've already are written out. And I'm going to do nine videos so that you can go through this entire series. I, I want to take extra time to work through this because uh, we're all involved. We are enmeshed in technology and social media. And this this is one of the more positive things that's ever happened to us, but it's also one of the more detrimental things that's affecting our sanctification and also our relationships. And so to me, it is just super important that we have a discussion about this. And so what we want to do at Life Over Coffee is we want to create some resources that will help you to have these redemptive conversations with those within your sphere of influence, especially those that you love so much, you care about, and for many of you that you are leading them, husbands, parents, wives, as you lead each other into good, redemptive, sanctifying habits. Well, we know that social media is sabotaging our lives, and it is important uh, to talk about these things. And so I have a lot of resources for you. The best way to find them is to look for this title at lifeovercoffee.com. The title of it is, What is the Cyber Effect? what you can do about it. And so that is the title. In fact, if you go to lifeovercoffee.com, you can go to the search feature, that little magnifying glass in the upper right-hand corner of our website on a desktop or a laptop. You can also find it on your mobile device. And if you click on that magnifying glass, you can just type in the cyber effect and you will have access to all nine articles, all nine podcasts, all nine videos. Also, I have a free downloadable digital book in our store titled The Cyber Effect. And so what you can do is go to our store and get that free book, download it, and share it with 1,000 of your closest friends. Now, I haven't said this in a while, and I was reminded not so long ago when someone said, well, I used to follow your podcast all the time until you stopped producing them. And I thought, well, I haven't stopped producing them. And so here's a quick reminder for those of you who love listening to podcasts. Go to Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or or Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and look for or just type in Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas and you will find our podcast there. And if you have any trouble finding it, please let us know. There is a envelope in the bottom right hand of our website or or it's a chat bubble. If it's a chat bubble, that means there's somebody there uh, on the other side of it and you can talk to a real person uh, live in real time and space. Uh, but if it's an envelope, you can just send us an email. But either one will connect to us. We receive all of that communication and let us know if you can't find our podcast and we'll help you to find it uh, because I want you to listen. I want you to listen to our content and I want you to let your friends know to listen to Life Over Coffee as well. 
And so this is a nine-part series. Now, what I want to do here is I'm going to give you an introduction. What is the cyber effect and what you can do about it? And then the next eight articles, podcast videos, they are going to be eight cyber effects. And I want to walk through all eight of those cyber effects one by one. Now, these articles, by the way, are super short. You can you can use these devotionally uh, within your friend group, small group, or family, or even within your marriage. The introduction is a little bit longer, uh, but these eight cyber effects, they're very short. And of course, I have call to action questions, CTAs, at the end of each one of these short little articles. All together through this nine-part series, I have more than 45 questions, and that will really help you to flesh out a path forward, what you can do, and how you can lead others well. So let me jump into it. What is the cyber effect and what you can do about it? Technology, social media, and the internet can be instruments in the hands of individuals who want to do good and they know how to accomplish these positive purposes practically. Of course, the implication in a fallen world is quite clear. We're fallen people amongst fallen people living in a fallen world. And so we know this technology in the hands of someone who does not have redemptive values. It can disrupt, but not only disrupt our lives, but it can bring harm to our souls and also for those who are around us. I mean, we all have our stories of technology's misuse, whether we have misused it or people have used it uh, to do harm to us. And of course, that includes all the tensions and temptations that come with social media. Making it worth our time to ask some intrusive questions that might help us to consider more practically how to use technology redemptively. And one thing about our ministry, as we hear over and over again, is that uh, you're quite direct. You are an intrusive ministry, as one of our graduates said, Jeff, my friend in California. He said, your ministry or uh, your uh, resources is like someone poking you in the chest. And he wasn't saying this in a, a negative way. He actually appreciated it because our ministry goes behind the the first wall of Christian protocol or, or the uh, the first wall of Christian etiquette where we tend to speak in Christianese and we can live in this superficial reality. Uh, but, but in truth, there are real things happening in our lives. And if someone doesn't say the quiet part aloud, then we can go on living superficially, even to the detriment of our souls and also generationally those that we should be leading. And so therefore, we don't want to be harsh or unkind but we do want to be somewhat intrusive in our lives, and it's something that we expect here at Life Over Coffee, especially within our own families of the folks who are a part of this ministry. And so what is the cyber effect of technology on your soul? Maybe I could ask it this way. Do you have a practical plan to guard against the potential problems associated with technology, the Internet? and social media. Now, let me say up front that many of the thoughts that 
I have here and the things that I'm going to share with you actually came from a book that I read many years ago by a lady named Mary Aiken. I do not know Mary Aiken. She is a, a cyber psychologist, uh, you might say, and she wrote a book called The Cyber Effect. The subtitle is An Expert in Cyber Psychology Explains How Technology is Shaping Our Children, Our Behavior, and Our Values and what we can do about it. Now, as far as a book goes, I give this book five stars. I would give it 10 if it was permissible. I highly recommend that you get this book by Mary Aiken called The Cyber Effect because it really profoundly impacted my life. I don't know if it so much opened my eyes to things as, as it just communicated in such a way that I knew I had to respond to it. I don't know if Mary Aiken is a Christian or not, and for the context of communicating this information, it does not matter. The book is really outstanding. I called it a disturbing page turner. I couldn't stop turning the pages, but I was disturbed on every page that I read. It was just that good. Now, as I work through this nine-part series, The Cyber Effect, What You Can Do About It, I'm not going to give you a list of tips about how you can curb your, your tech habits, you know, like Cut the Wi-Fi off. Uh, cut the Wi-Fi off at night in your home, or place password protection on your child's devices. Some of that information is just intuitively obvious, but also that information is accessible to all of us because we live in we live on the internet. All you have to do is to Google ten helpful tips to fill in the blank, whatever that is. And you will find many options that will work for you. So if you're looking for tech tips, then just Google those tech tips and customize those tips to your life and your family and also your friends. I mean, each person and each family is different, and I can't speak to every individual or family dynamic as far as what you should do as far as your tech habits is concerned. But what I do recommend is that you read, watch, or listen what I have provided here and that you, you seriously work through the questions, 45-plus questions. Take your time. We're not in a, a hurry. We don't have to live at the speed of the Internet. We can actually soak in this material and we can reflectively work through the questions simultaneously to asking the Spirit of God to illuminate our minds about how we can make specific, customized, practical applications to your life, family, and friends. What you need to do it's going to be slightly different from what I need to do or what your friends need to do. And so this is my appeal because I see this all the time, virtually every day, because I live in this world, not just a, a tech, internet, social media world, but I live in a, a counseling world where I am helping people with problems. And when you help people with problems in this day, this age, well, well, the internet, the internet and social media and technology is always going to be part of their problems. And so I want you to take this material seriously, and I want you to be pneumatic. And what I mean by being pneumatic is I want you to walk in the Spirit. Ask God to meet you at the level of your determination to change. And I trust that your determination to change, if change is needed, I trust it will be high, and I trust it will be strong.
My goal through this nine-part series is to challenge you about why you must address technology and social media use. Here's the thing. If I cannot convince you why the cyber effect is potentially damaging to your soul and your most crucial relationships, then you will probably not carry through with whatever tech tips happen to be. I mean, I could give you a list of tech tips. What should I do now? And I can give you 10 best practices. But I want to step in front of that. Before we get to what to do, what I would like to do is to give you a vision of why it is so important. I mean, it would be like giving a person a workout routine. Here are 10 workouts that you need to do at the gym. Because it's the new year and you're going through your annual conviction to make a change about your physical health. If the unhealthy person does not believe their health is on the line, their long-term motivation to change, it will run out of steam by the end of January. And by March, you would not be able to find them on a, on a radar. That's why it's important before we get to the tech tips, whatever they may be. By the way, I believe that if you work through this material and you answer these questions and you're serious about making the necessary changes, God will give you the instruction. It will be so obvious to you as to what you need to do next. And so my prayer is that we will go deeper than behavioral modification tech tips. As needful as that is, I'm not totally tossing that out, but I'm hoping that the Lord will capture our hearts regarding this cultural contagion. Now, if God captures our hearts for us, it will be the perfect spot to start thinking about how to apply good tech habits to our lives. Now, to start this, maybe, maybe a good place to start thinking about technology is in 1450, circa 1450. Johannes Gutenberg, he introduced the printing press to the world. Many people consider this event to be one of the most transformative inventions of the second millennium. His movable type machine, it changed lives, it changed cultures, it changed countries, it brought people together. It, though books were already in print, the printing press made information accessible and it created community where we could have conversations about things because the books being mass produced did that for us and people came together for good and evil. Let's move forward a few thousand years in 2007. Steve Jobs gave us the mobile phone which I believe will go down in history as one of the high points of this millennium. Though the internet was already here with its technologies, it was not until the iPhone that the culture sped us up and it changed us exponentially. The pre-existing handheld wannabes were nice, but it was the iPhone that made us cool. As you, many of you remember, when, when the new iPhone came out, many people would be, thousands of people, millions of people around the world would be wrapping the, the Apple stores so they can get that iPhone. I may or may not have been in a few of those crowds. It was the iPhone that made us cool and it made us craving for more. Some statisticians estimated that in 2018 that over 5 billion people had mobile devices. Imagine that. 
and over half of them own smartphones. Nearly every family you know has at least one smartphone, if not more. Upward to 80% of homes in developed countries have personal computers. But before I go completely in the dark about the dangers and devices of these dastardly tools in the hands of the devil, let me state clearly that we all benefit from technology. I am not here to suggest that technology is an utterly lousy idea, a big fail, and you should run as far from it as you can. The truth is, we can't run from it. We are enmeshed in it, and we will never get out of it as long as we live. And by the way, we have our testimonies about the good things the Lord has done through technology, and so I'm not tossing the baby out with the iPhone. Our tech-dependent culture has been a positive advancement on all fronts, whether we're talking about health services, financial institutions, academic environments, businesses. I mean, even when we began developing our business model for Life Over Coffee in 2008, the overarching question was, how can we use technology redemptively? How can we take the gospel's good news to the world? How can we globally reach people with the practical message of Christ? That's what I was thinking in 2008, the redemptive use of technology. You see, we understand that there is an echo of omnipresence in technology. And what we hoped to do in 08 was to capitalize on this means of grace for God's glory and the transformative benefit of millions of people. Well, here we are more than a decade later, and the Lord has positioned us to wrap the globe daily. I think about this often, that before I awake in the morning, I have already been all over the world. That is a phenomenal idea. I appreciate that. I'm humbled by it. I praise God for His redemptive mercies in our lives that allows us to take the good news of the gospel far and wide. Our site, website, is, it's, a, it's a big box store in cyberspace. I call it our coffee shop. Sometimes I call it our sanctification center. It is our IKEA uh, which could be a, a negative connotation to some of you, as I think of Ikea as like the bowels of Hades, that when you enter it, especially the first time if you've never been to Ikea before, it's like Hotel California. I got metaphors all over the place. You, you enter, but you can't leave. You don't know how to leave. It is a phenomenal, huge store with everything that you ever want for the home. Well, our sanctification center is similar to Ikea. I mean, for example, we have a fully loaded learning management system. This LMS is where people from around the world can come, be trained in discipleship, biblical counseling, if they have internet access, which billions of people do, and they never have to leave their homes. We also have millions, literally, of words in read, watch, listen formats. I'm doing a series here, a nine-part series, and putting it in read, watch, listen. So those that want to read can, those that prefer to watch will. Those who want to run on the beach and listen, they can do that too. And you also have your list of tech benefits for which you are grateful. You can shop online and wait for Amazon to magically appear on your doorstep with whatever it is that you've ordered. You don't have to purchase stamps because you can pay bills online, praise God. 
Some people do not carry money because of credit cards and debit cards. If you're in that number, please pay off your bills at the end of every month and do not give them that interest. You can make transactions on your watch. The benefits are plenty. That's my point. And there's more benefits coming. But with all things that the Lord has given His creation, there are tendencies and there are temptations to use them selfishly and even cruelly. One of the biggest problems with the Internet and technology is that we cannot study it properly because it's an open-ended, ever-changing, fluid experience. If you want to study something, the best studies happen after the event is over and you had time to digest it. You had time to measure the results. You can look at patterns. You can give a thorough review of what happened so that you can prepare and protect yourself from repeating history, especially our evil history. For example, 9-11 is an open and shut tragedy in our culture. Because it's shut now, it's been over for many years, we can study it. Thousands of research papers, books, forums, and boards have figured out how we got to 9-11, how we responded to it and its lingering effect. Pearl Harbor is another illustration of a studyable event. By the way, so is your childhood. As you reflect on that closed period of your life to understand yourself more clearly and why you interact with people the way that you do, you can do that because it's not an ongoing event any longer. We just came out of a pandemic in 2020. When we were in it, we were all over the place, like a, a, a collective group of people walking around on marbles, and, and there was really there was really no way to, to settle in on what was really happening. But now that it's a closed event, it's not fluid any longer, it's static. We're able to look back at it with more clarity. Once the event is over, you can begin collecting all the rele relevant data to see what you can learn about the unique historical phenomenon. Well, guess what? The Internet and technology are still active, alive, fluid phenomena. We can't fully understand moving targets. Before the iPhone, we barely had time to fall in love with the iPod and its walloping impact on the music industry. And then, boom, came the iPad, which begged for social media platforms like Facebook and YouTube, which used to be the thing with teenagers, but they jumped to Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and beyond like, like frogs. On lily pads, we're jumping from one technological pond to the other at the speed of the Internet. Technology changes, new habits form, and we're still trying to understand the effects of the last cool thing that we just had to have. It will take at least another 20 years, if not longer, to figure out what we are doing to ourselves. But that does not mean that we don't know things today. Though technology changes, the habits and their effects are somewhat measurable. We can step into this fluid moment, and we can see the effects of technology on us, though that we will not know in totality until many years from now. But that doesn't mean that we need to wait to, to gather all the data and write all the papers and figure out what we have done to ourselves. That's why I am... Uh, producing this content today because there are some things that we can do 
And if we do not do those things, uh, it will be to our detriment. And so the challenge for us will be if we don't allow what we already know to persuade us to think about how we can use technology, well, then we will not experience some immediate effects. And, of course, that's going to have uh, long-term repercussions that we will regret. I have interacted with thousands of people of every age in counseling. It's what I've been doing. I mean, more than a quarter of a century. Have no idea how many people I have met with, but I meet with people every day in, in one context or another. And virtually every conversation that I have is a conversation about sanctification. And technology is always part of that conversation to some degree. Some of them know this. Others do not. Some of them care. Others do not. The big idea for us is to understand that at this juncture is how the adverse effects of technology are symptoms, not the cause of our problems. And it's important that we get that. Where we are in our interaction with technology, technology, a device, social media platform, the Internet, those are symptomatic that point to something that is deeper in our lives. And so as we wrestle with what we should do about it, it's to under, we need to understand that the iPhone or the whatever the other people use, that that is something that reveals our hearts. James was quite forthright when he taught us that sin is not out there somewhere, but sin is in our hearts making the effect of technology the symptom. Listen to Brother James when he said this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's an internal problem. And so we don't want to curse at the iPhone or fuss at the device. Not primarily. Uh, we want to listen to James. He says when that internal desire, when it has conceived, it it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. Jesus was more succinct when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is continuity between what happens in our heart and what comes out of our mouths. And by extension, we can theologically, we will be accurate when we say that, that whatever our physical phenomenon is, it is connected to our hearts. We're tempted and lured by our own desires. And so there's no discontinuity between what's happening in our hearts and what is rolling off our lips or rolling off our thumbs as we are using our devices. James and Jesus quickly tied the external phenomenon, technology, to our hearts. The source of our problems is internal, not external. The iPhone for example, reveals what is happening in my heart. James and Jesus wants you and me to know that the primary problem is not technological, but how these devices and platforms reveal the pre-existing conditions in our souls. You could say that Steve Jobs triggered us. Is that Steve Jobs' fault? Well, it wouldn't be our fault. It wouldn't be his fault if we were not already had a predisposition 
to what he was triggering. It was our hearts that are at fault. If our hearts did not desire it, technology would not be able to lure us. A device is just a device, but if we crave it, we permit it to manage us. What you need will control you. For example, many of you know that I'm just not too fond of mayonnaise. When I go to a conference, people say, well, what do you all like to eat? Do you have any food allergies? Not really. Just don't put mayonnaise on anything and we'll be fine because Christians don't eat mayonnaise, and I am a Christian. I've never enjoyed the taste of it. Now, it's not a spiritual thing at all. It's just a taste thing. And if you like mayonnaise, that's fine. There's forgiveness, of course. But in reality, this is just a peculiarity of me. I mean, if I were to wallow in a pool of mayonnaise, and I can't quite figure out why I would ever do that, there would be a zero temptation to taste it because I'm not lured to it. My heart doesn't desire it. The upside to this inside truth about our hearts craving the things of the world, even to our detriment, is that we can take the measure of an adult, a child, a friend, by the things that they love. If you want to assess something, if you want to charitably judge someone, if you want to charitably assess someone, then look at the things in their lives. By their fruit, you shall know them. You shall know what is in their heart. And again, this is what James and Jesus was teaching us. Their treasure reveals their hearts. When you see how much technology affects an individual practically, you get a snapshot of who they are internally. I want to give you a few illustrations to make my point. For example, now I'm not picking on on anyone, but this is a reality. And again, we want to be charitably intrusive as we talk about some of these things because, again, I mean, if you're watching people just continue to devastate their lives, their sanctification, their relationships, and you have uh, some kind of insight onto why it's happening to him that knows to do good and does not do it to him, that would be a sin. And so here's some of the things that I've seen in a myriad of counseling cases and as those counselees also, for example, interact on social media. Illustration number one, the lady who has ongoing selfie shots as you scroll through her Facebook profile is revealing her heart. Think about it this way. In no real-life context would she break out her photo album and show you 20 iterations of herself, unless she was a narcissist. Sometimes when I'm working on social media and I'll see someone and I want to look up, see who they are, and I'll just get an idea, and it's just like, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's amazing, and most of the time it's women. I mean, the majority of the time it's women, and you just scroll, scroll, scroll. It's, it's this hairdo, it's this color, and, and many of them, like, the, the faces, they never change. It's just like, it's this one, and then here's another one, another one, another one, another one, and it's ad infinitum. There is something wrong with that. That is something that a man or a woman needs to address. By the way, one of the things that we're doing here is we're normalizing this behavior. We are saying that this is okay. And when parents normalize narcissistic behavior by the serial selfie shots on, like, say, Facebook, they're telling their children, this is how I want you to live. Follow me as I follow Christ, or follow me as I follow Steve Jobs, or whatever is going on in the person's mind. In many cases, I don't think people are connecting these dots and realizing 
what that is doing to them and how it's impacting those who are closest to them. And then they come to me, you know, 10 years later, and their children are, are bouncing off the walls and they're doing all kinds of odd behavior and they say, hey, will you help my child? Well, that child did not get to where they are by themselves. At 15 years of age, I was in jail. My fault, my decision, my choice, my rebellion, my anger. But my dad assisted me. He's not the cause, and I'm not blaming him, but he was a primary shaping influence. And if we normalize behavior, he normalized alcohol, pornography, anger. He normalized slothfulness. He normalized passivity. He normalized a lot of ungodly behavior. And it had an effect on me, even though I'm the one that ultimately chose bad things, and I suffered the consequences for them, and that's all on me. However, it would be intellectually dishonest for me to say that I did not have assistance. This is my assistant. He is my father. He assisted me to get to where I am today, even though I am the one that is responsible. But he was an adverse shaping influence. And when women or men are serial posting their faces all over social media, they are normalizing a behavior. And then they wonder why their children are looking at their phones and not looking at them. It is an odd way to think about uh, what is happening in our families and our lives, and it's perplexing to me. It flummoxes me as to why this disconnect can exist in some parents as though they act as though they don't understand why their children are doing this when they spend their days online as well. Another illustration is the child sequestered off in his room who does not socialize with his family. It is revealing his heart. He is making a value statement about himself and his family. He's saying that, well, his family does not matter and that these people on these social media platforms, they do matter. They are more important than you are. Now, one of the things that I want to do when I see our children on social media, especially if they were on social media while I'm talking to them or they're interacting with us around the home, we used to have people live with us a number of years ago as we were teaching these two ladies t how, to, how to live as a Titus II person. And one of the individuals would come home virtually every day, talking on the phone, walking through the living room upstairs to her room. Well, we had a conversation about that, is that when you are coming into our home, that you don't come into our home talking and, and ignoring us. That is a rude thing to do. And that was way before we had social media like we have now. Of course, we have people sitting around all the time on their devices, ignoring everybody in the house, especially when a child is sequestered off, not socializing, making a value statement. And so I want to ask myself, how have I participated in them accruing that value statement about their family? Uh, how can I change? I don't want to just fuss at the child or appeal to the child that, that let's come and reason together and see if we can make whatever changes are necessary as though all the fault is on the child. I also want to address the log in my eye too. A third illustration, a couple that goes on a date and stares at their phones. They are testifying to everyone in the restaurant what they think about each other. Many years ago, Lucia and I were doing a conference in Shelbyville, Indiana. We went to a restaurant in Shelbyville, and it was the oddest thing. It was so surreal. Now, I am talking about something like 2003, 2004. 
uh, somewhere in the mid-aughts. This was even before the iPhone. Maybe it was a little bit later than that because everybody in the restaurant had a phone. And the odd thing is, is that restaurant was totally silent. And every table had a couple at the table. They were not talking to each other. They were either looking at their phones or they were staring up at a television watching a game or whatever was on TV. They were testifying to everyone in the, well, they were testifying to us because nobody else in the restaurant was paying attention to what was going on because all of them was focused on their device or the TVs in the corner. Rather than double dating with with other humans, like I'm going to take you out, they were double dating with their phones. It's me and my phone as I talk to my device, and it's her and her phone as she talks to her her device. That is absolutely deplorable, but it testifies. That's another value statement, similar what the teenager, similar to what the teenager is making when he is sequestered off in his room. Number four, when someone in a meeting with you checks their buzzing phone. They make a value statement about you. Now, I realize that, that I'm an old man, old school. I'm on the other side of history, meaning I can remember the day when phones were tied to walls and when those phones would ring. Sometimes we answered them. Sometimes we didn't. Sometimes we had answering machines. But there just wasn't an impulse in fact, most of the times we couldn't hear the phones ring because the phones were in the home, we were in the restaurant. The phones were in the home, we were in the office. Phones were in the home, we were somewhere else. And so the phones were not so interruptive to our lives or disruptive to our lives. You know, we teach our kids not to interrupt us because it's not respectful. And so we're standing in the church meeting and uh, a father and another man is talking and the child comes up and, and stands right there and they won't say anything. That is good training. Don't be rude. Don't interrupt. Wait your turn because this conversation is important. But then the man's phone rings and he reaches into his pocket or it's probably already in his hand and he allows himself to be interrupted by the phone. One of the things that I've learned in counseling that there's virtually nothing that is urgent. In all of these years that I've been doing counseling, five of those years I was pastoring, I can only think of two situations where something was brought to my attention where I had to respond immediately. The tyranny of the urgent. Very few things are urgent that can't wait five minutes to get through with the conversation or one day before you respond to it. In fact, many people have, uh, they're very sluggish on their email. You send them an email, they may respond in a day or two. Some people don't even acknowledge the email. But when that phone buzzes, it's like the world stops and whatever is going on in front of them or whoever they are talking to is just not that important. One more illustration. A dad comes home from a long day at work and he clicks on the TV or jumps on the internet, a tablet, or a phone. Rather than engaging his family in real space, he zips off to cyberspace, leaving his family behind, eating his cyber dust. Now, in all of these illustrations, there is always a yes but exception. I get it. And some of those yes but exceptions, they're valid. I get it, but work with me for just a moment. If that is our first impulse, then we're 
defending ourselves too quickly, and we're missing the point. And if we are missing the point by defending ourselves too quickly, it could speak to where we are in all of this. And so, yes, but let's put those exceptions in there where they appropriately fit in those five illustrations that I gave you and perhaps whatever other illustrations you might have. But before you do that, is there any truth that can be found? This is a counseling tip 101. When someone brings an observation or a correction to you, our impulse should be to think about the correction that is brought, not the imperfect messenger. Uh, sometimes a person can bring truth to us that is 85% right, 60% right. Sometimes it can be brought with a bad attitude. I wish that I could bring all corrective care with the right attitude. I wish I could be 100% right every time that I I, I bring my arguments of, of something where somebody needs to change. But the truth is, I will never be 100% right in the assessments that I make about someone. And in many situations, I will not make those assessments with the proper attitude. And I'm sure you're in this, this same boat that I am. We live in a fallen world among fallen people. Therefore, our corrective care is not going to be perfect all the time, and we're not going to have a comprehensive assessment of everything that needs to be understood in order to bring that corrective care. But let's say that the person is 65% right in what they are observing. It would be very appropriate and humble to focus on the 65% that is right rather than the 45% that they missed or botched up. It would also be humble to receive that corrective care, even though the messenger may have tied it on uh, to the end of a spear and shot it across the room at you. I am not condoning sin. I'm not condoning a person's improper corrective care. There may be a time to draw attention to that and to deal with it. But the first thing that we want to do, the first thing that, that I try to do, and I don't even do this perfectly. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But the thing that I want to do is to receive that care. I, I want to address the log in my eye. And there have been many times where, for example, I've gone, gone to my wife and talked about how she presented her corrective care. Or I talked about some aspects of what her assessment was, that it was just untrue from my perspective. And we had those discussions but was there anything that I could learn from what she was presenting? And so as I lay this out for you in those five illustrations that I've given you, maybe you could come up with your own illustrations and ask the Lord to eliminate your mind, to give you the insight that you need to make any kind of tech adjustments that you need to make, and then anything that you need to implement in your family, and then begin to do that, and see what God will do as he provides empowering grace, empowering favor because of your humility. He gives grace to the humble, but he is a warring army. He resists the proud. I've titled this, What is the Cyber Effect? What You Can Do About It. Now, I want to wrap up by asking you five questions or five question sets, and this will help you to work through this introduction. This is an introduction to my book, The Cyber Effect. It is a free digital download at lifeovercoffee.com. Go to our store. You can get it. I want you to have it. I want you to share it with 1,000 of your friends. If you want to have all uh, nine articles 
all nine podcasts, all nine videos. You can have that. Again, all you have to do is type the cyber effect into the search box at lifeovercoffee.com, and you can get nine podcasts, nine videos, nine articles. Go to the store. You can get the digital download, and you can get all the questions that I'm going to be asking you throughout this nine-part series, and I trust that it will be redemptive in your life personally and also in your family. So let me start with the first five questions in this first segment, uh, part one of nine parts. Question number one. Why do you need a device? Now, I'm focusing on the word need. Why do you need a device? It's a need question, not a desire question. And we have to distinguish between the two. Needing something is more potent. It's more compelling. It's more enticing than merely desiring something. For example, you desire ice cream. But you don't need ice cream. Nobody does. Nobody needs ice cream. And so it's a good faith question. Why do you need a device? Sometimes when our children have come to us and they said, Dad, I need, and then whatever that thing is. It could be a device or it could be a pair of pants. And so I'm asking the question, do you need? It is a diagnostic question that most people don't think about. And without being anal about this, when it comes to important things, it's something that we need to distinguish between need and desire. Because the truth is, most of the things that we say we need, we do not. And if we just run past this and say, I need it, and there's no nuance between need and desire, well, we can just get anything willy-nilly, not even giving any thought to what is happening in our hearts? Are we craving something? Is this an idol? You see, some people will say that they need a device because everybody else has one, like a teenager in high school or in elementary school. Is that true? Do you need one? This is an important question that we just don't want to just shoo away uh, as though it's, it's, it's being just a, a little bit too anal when you ask this question. No, do you need one? Do you need a device? The question is why? Number two, what are five positive reasons that you need technology, social media, and the internet? Now, you should be able to come up with five reasons. This is the easy part, I think, but I would, again, appeal to you to think carefully, are these really needs? Go back to question number one, distinguish between a need and a desire. We have very few needs in our lives, by the way. What we have most of all are desires. Most of the things that we want are actually desires, not needs. But what happens when we redefine a desire into a need, then we have to have that regardless, even though we're blowing through the red light and knocking over five construction barrels to get it because I have to have this thing, when in reality, we don't. So question number two, what are five positive reasons you need technology, social media, and the Internet? Question number three. What are five negative reasons you desire technology, social media, and the Internet? Now, honestly, this should be an easy question to answer 
too. And I would encourage you to talk to someone about this, that you have this good faith discussion, a vulnerable discussion about your technology use, and then I would ask you to expand that discussion with that person about how you lead others uh, if you are in any kind of authoritative position, whether that is a father, a mother, husband, wife, uh, if that is a, a teacher, pastor, uh, some church affiliation leadership role in the church. We're all leading people. Everybody is an example. People are looking to us. Uh, the question is never within the Christian worldview, are you a leader? Because that's always in the affirmative. We are leading others. Some people have a an elected role. Someone has a designated role of that, and they are leaders as we understand a leader but we're all representatives of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ, and so people look to us. If you don't think that's true, uh, well, then you've never heard the statement, if that's Christianity, then I don't want anything to do with it. Of course you've heard that. We know that. We know that people are watching us, therefore we are leading other people. And so the question is, is to have this good faith conversation, what are five negative reasons that you desire technology? Now, one of those for me is that I, I have an addiction to technology. It's something that we have talked about openly in our home. That is just something that I gravitate toward. And if I'm not careful, I can make a case that I need this device or this new thing that has come out, when in reality, no, I don't need that at all. It is just a desire. But those are good faith conversations that you want to have. And we want to we want to be intellectually honest and not try to tweak things in such a way that uh, we're not acknowledging the truth between a need and a desire. And so it's better to say that I desire this, but honestly, I don't need it. Here are the reasons that I desire it. And the way that I'm asking this question, I'm positioning it in such a way, what are neg five negative reasons you say you desire technology, social media, or the Internet? Number four, and I've already said this, uh, but I want to make it into a question. Will you discuss the five negative reasons with someone that you trust? Someone who will speak candidly with you? And I know that many marriages uh, aren't in a place where they can have these types of conversations because of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger that swirls within that relationship. And so maybe you can't have this conversation with your spouse, but would you have this conversation with someone of the same gender if you can't have it with your spouse? Uh, guys, if you would just go to a man, like say, in your church who will be honest with you and in he, he's not weak or he's not afraid to speak the truth, but he won't speak the truth harshly. And, and, and you be honest with him. Uh, just say, here's, here's where I'm at uh, with the Internet or technology or social media. And for many men, uh, part of that conversation will almost always have something to do with pornography. Uh, for some, it will have to do with uh, sports or watching too much uh, on uh, our devices or Netflix or whatever our portals are in which we uh, watch too much stuff. Uh, 
Some of you will have a discussion about watching too much news, and, and maybe you're coming to terms with that now, that you're negatively influencing your mind because uh, you're consuming too much news, and news is, is built or news is, is presented uh, to be mostly negative because they are looking to build a business, a platform, an empire. They're looking to get clicks. They're looking to get revenue. They're looking to get your eyes on them. Are you giving your eyes up to the news to where now it is creating a, a negativity and a cynicism in your life about what you are perceiving in the world? It's really amazing when you go on some of these platforms like Rumble and, and YouTube and you look at uh, where everybody is saying the same thing. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I don't talk about the news. I talk about evergreen content. I talk about things that can actually affect our lives. I've been on those interviews. I, I've been in those panels where they're talking about current events. And honestly, I don't care to be there because other people are already talking about it. And there's no need for me to say anything because I can't do anything about it. The one thing that I can do is I can impact the person who is in front of me redemptively. But just talking about what has happened yesterday or what happened last week is not a redemptive conversation in my view. And perhaps what you need to do is you need to find one source of information so that you can stay apprised of what's going on. A news source that you trust and you follow them and you stay apprised of what's happening, but stop endlessly just scrolling through the internet and listen to 15 takes on the same subject. That will, that will affect you in an adverse way and you won't see it coming. And it will be like going to sleep in a raft at the ocean, and you wake up an hour later and you can't see the shore. And this is what's happening with our, our consumption of the Internet. And the same for you ladies as well, who do the endless scrolling on Facebook and your other preferred platforms. We were not built to be omniscient. Our containers are finite, but we're trying to consume an omniscient amount of information, and we are killing ourselves, spiritually speaking. So question number four, I'm asking you, will you discuss the five negative reasons that you use um, to make a case for why you uh, have devices, social media, technology, and would you speak to someone who will not coddle you, and will you be honest with them about all of your social media platform, internet technology experience? And then finally, number five, what one thing will you change about how you use the internet, technology, social media, aiding you to become more like Christ? That's the goal. The objective here is for us to become Christ-like. And so maybe one of the questions that you can ask yourself, is this piece of technology, is this social media platform, or the things that I go to on the internet, is it, is it forming me into Christ-likeness or is it causing a regression in my sanctification? Let's say after the last five or ten years that you have been consuming technology, as we all have, are you more mature? Are you more in faith? Do you have less soul noise? Has fear abated somewhat? Are you more courageous? Are you uh, maturing in Christ-like qualities? You, you can look at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. You know them. Are those things being, uh, am, am I filling out in those things? Uh, and, and make that a, a tech, technology, social media conversation. 
what is the redemptive use of technology and how is it maturing me or is it not? Now, if it's not, the question is here at number five, what one thing will I change? Some people leave these conversations and they say, what should I do next? I'm not that naive. I know that God has already pinpointed. He has already put his finger on what shall I do next for you. If you, if you have been listening with an open heart, listening in good faith, listening with humility, you already know what to do. What I would encourage you to do is to write it down. I mean, like literally, physically write it down on a piece of paper and then email a friend. Use technology and email your friend. You can share uh, this with them. You can share the nine-part series with them. You can share the book with them at lifeovercoffee.com and say, I'm going through this series. What is the cyber effect and what you can do about it? Well, I know what the cyber effect is and how it has been affecting me, and I know what I need to do. Now, maybe there are many other things that you will, you will realize that you need to do as you go through this nine-part series. That's great. But what is the one thing that you can do right now? What is the cyber effect and what you can do about it? Now, let me just speak ever so briefly about this book. This book is called Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. I'm bringing this up now because it ties to what we're talking about. We're talking about transformation. And perhaps one of the best things that you could do is go to Amazon.com, use your internet and technology, and then order this book and have Amazon deliver it to your door, and then cut off all your devices and sit down and read this book and take as long as you need. There are questions at the end of every chapter. That's how we produce our content. We put CTAs at, at, at the end of every chapter or the end of every article that we produce so that we want people to respond. We don't want people to just sit and soak or to passively take in content, but we want people to engage it. And so this could be a good companion book that you go with this digital download download the cyber effect that you can get in our store is get change me the ultimate life change handbook and it will walk you through the change process there are many people that have benefited from this book we receive those testimonies men's groups go through it disciple makers go through it one-on-one uh, -on -one. Uh, ladies groups as well and biblical counselors use it as part of their homework and what they give to their counselees, and you can benefit from it as well. But right now, what I would like for you to do is to now, uh, the, the next eight parts of this series here, the cyber effect, I'm going to walk through eight effects that technology has on us. And I want to make sure you get that. So go to lifeovercoffee.com and just do this first of all. Just type the cyber effect in the search feature and you will get not just this introduction here, but you'll also get all eight of those effects. I'm Rick Thomas with lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.